Hello, welcome, good day to the SBS Suckling Podcast for the week of the 22nd of October 2015. This is your weekly review of all things cycling. I'm Al Hines. This week on the show, the Tour de France route is unveiled. Number 103 for the trip around France, starting in the northwest in Normandy and working its way around the uh, big hexagon in an anti-clockwise fashion. We end up, of course, in Paris, as usual. It'll be a classic, we hope, as always. We'll go through that uh, and more coming up. Of course, Tomo has been to the Red Centre with a a magnificent trip through uh, Australia's hottest parts, and we'll be looking at some of that stuff, including uh, honouring his work with the Black Dog Institute and finishing up a big debate that was, uh, I don't know, I guess somewhat controversial, Phil, uh, that Melbourne to Warrnambool took place last Sunday and uh, huge uh, participation, big field for the 100th edition. But uh, Dave McKenzie, a passionate man as ever there was one, uh, raised some good and valid points about whether it is on the nose. We'll talk about all that and more. And uh, with me... Philip Gomes. Yes. How are um, you? I'm great. You mentioned 103 editions of the Tour de France. I reckon... There'll Mike, be another Tomo, 100. Tomo's done at least 102 <laughs> of those. And Phil Leggett and Paul Sherwin have done uh, 70 combined, I believe. Jesus. Or is it 80? 80. Phil, uh, Rob? Rob Arnold? That's Two, it's, 260. It's too, it, I don't pay much attention well, to Phil and Paul. Well, some say, <laughs> some say it's 80 too many, but I don't, don't subscribe to that uh, theory. Uh, well, how, like many, how many have you done? Down. How many have you done, Rob? Oh, done, by the way, this is Rob Arnold. Oh, and Rob, Rob, Rob Arnold. And, and, and Tomo is Mike Tomolaris. Tomolaris. Michael Mike Tomo Tomolaris. Yes. it's Welcome to the show, Tomo. It's great to be back. It's great to have started his tour campaign before I did, one year before. You started 96, I started 97, is that right? He's but always I, stealing your thunder, isn't he, Rob? Uh, but, Rob, I've known you since 1996. <laughs> I think it was in Cairns at the World Mountain Bike Championships when we first glazed, uh, well, gazed at each other's eyes. And uh, <laughs> you had a ponytail. You, uh, did you mistake Tom, had a mullet. Let's not get too much. <laughs> I had a mullet. <laughs> I remember many things about that experience, but probably best not talked about in a podcast in 2015. Okay, fair enough. Um, <laughs> Um, uh, <laughs> I don't even know where to take it. Let's get straight into it, guys. Let's talk about the Tour de France route announcement. Well, as I mentioned, that's the 103rd edition in 2016 coming up. It'll be the last for Alberto Contador, by all accounts. There'll be no cobbles. That's... Uh, I think a good thing. No Alpe d'Huez and no Vosges Mountains, which have been a theme of the last few years. Two individual time trials, one in the second week and one in the third, and there's a fairer go for the sprinters. But uh, on the whole, a more balanced course, less transfers, less arduous, and uh, a return of Montfond too. Phil, what do you reckon of the 2016 Tour de France? What to make of it all? Well, I think the general reporting is is uh, and, and comments from the riders is that it's a climber's tour again, but, you know, all, all tours are climber's tours. It's a bit um, of a, it's sort of a catch-all term, uh, isn't it, yeah, climber's you know, tour? What, what I is, saw what a headline th- that Andre Garoppel was going for the yellow jersey. Seriously? On the first stage. Yes, but <laughs> I don't think she just told it at that. She just told it at right. that. We've never had a sprinter's tour, have we? No, no but, but no. look, this one, this one at least brings the sprinters back into the picture, you know, in a way that I think is, is, is good. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are opportunities, opportunities there. And of course, the, the sprinters are encouraged, um, uh, you know, to stay the full, the full distance. Uh, and yes, a sprinter will hold, on, in all probability, hold a yellow jersey on day one. And then you've got, Champs-Élysées, of course, uh, to finish. So 
it, there's a lot there for them, and I think it's a good thing that that's the case. And then the climbers and or the GC guys uh, will do their will do their thing in between. But I think what's going to be interesting are, are those two time trials. I mm. think um, they may turn out to be a lot more significant well, in Froomey, the context of the race. Froomey said um, about the, the the time trial kilometers, the increase. Uh, it's not necessarily that I was disappointed with the lack of time trialling uh, in 2015, but more that I was disappointed that, to me, the Tour de France has always been a race that needs to challenge every aspect of a rider. You're not just going to get a pure climber or a pure time trial winning. It always has been a race for me that the best all-rounder can win. And so next year's route is definitely much more that kind of too. I think that's a fair comment and uh, probably has been missing almost for a couple of years. What do you think, Tom? But having said that, yeah. I really am disappointed that there's no cobbled sector. I mean, you talk about <laughs> a balanced uh, tour, and I think these days, mm. in the modern era, you've got to throw in a cobbled section. And uh, apart from the entertainment value, it certainly does test the riders. They're very nervous in that first week. They have been in the past. And I think if you want to have a, a fully rounded Tour de France these days... You've got to have a cobbled sector, and I know that what Christian Prudhomme is doing, he doesn't want to, he doesn't want to make the Tour de France overkill by uh, having a Paris Roubaix type uh, course each and every year. But um, I'm a little bit disappointed that uh, we won't see it in 2016. Do, do you think maybe Rob, it's a, it's a sort of a way to make it still seem a bit more of a novelty, you know, not have it yeah. thrown in every year? And... I don't think they need cobbles every year. They've had two in a row, so it's, mm. yeah, it makes sense to have a break for me. Mm. I don't, I don't think we should talk about the absence of cobbles rather than the presence of what is there. Mm. What struck me as weird is I thought that there was a tradition that we went clockwise, anti-clockwise. Now here we are going twice anti-clockwise in a row. I'm just, <laughs> it's unbelievable. I'm so disappointed. <laughs> That's the talking point. Oh. Well, what about the downhill finishes? There are many more of them, less summit finishes. I think there's only four without four. having studied it properly. Yep. So with those downhill finishes, I just wonder, is it a tour for Chris Froome? Because um, he likes those uh, tabletop finishes, doesn't he? He does like the set-piece type, yeah. uh, you know, getting up them and just nailing it. But uh, I don't know. I mean, it's a good point. I mean, would you say he's not necessarily a bad descender? I, I think that was sort of dispelled a little bit in terms of his technical ability last year. You know, people sort of saying that he couldn't go downhill. Well, he went downhill pretty well. Yeah, he did. And I think, uh, yeah, he's he's put all that to rest. So and I don't and, think and the cobbles, but, I think he showed mastery yeah, across yeah. all but, terrain. But he's, he's, still, he's still the kind of rider who could be vulnerable in that situation, as Tom mentioned. And only four mountain, mountain, mountain finishes means that there are fewer opportunities for him to really make some real time on those climbs last kilometer or whatever um he'll have to do that in the time trials having said that is it a course for richie port yeah. Yeah. I think the it's more you look too. at it, the better it is. Mm. The, yeah. the, the time trial, the first long one, is in the Ardèche. Well, that's not really long. Thirty-seven, thirty-seven k, I think. But yeah. the, the, if the, the roads of the Ardèche are the, some of the my favourites in France, we did after the stage to Mont this year. I did a long drive through the Ardèche. It was uh, it was not terribly far, maybe one hundred and fifty kilometres, but it took hours because there was literally no stretch of road longer than maybe fifty or sixty metres without a big turn in it. This is spectacular scenery. It's not considered a mountain time trial, but it's definitely not going to be just a out straight and, and roll around. I'm, yeah. I'm, I haven't seen the particulars of the course, but I would expect that knowing that part of France is going to be very technical. Yeah, yeah. both, yeah. Are, both and, are, and are quite goes well both for quite Richie. Mm. I think it goes well for a lot of different guys, and it, it, it means that although uh, you know it's not a classic 
uh, time trial, but it's it's good for the climbers. I don't see Quintana and Froome losing huge, or Quintana losing. It huge softens the blow for Quintana. Time. Yeah, and, and in yeah. fact, he's he's said as much. I mean, mm. he said, "Oh yeah, these time trials are where we can uh, we we definitely will not lose here." Mm. Yeah. Mm. What about the uh, the decision to go with a no team time trial as well? That sort of changes mm-hmm. the dynamic of the. T- <laughs> It's a, it changes the dynamic of the teams you're sending, though, because you don't need that extra ruler or an Alex Dowsett type rider in there. It might mean that you have hev- more heavily stacked climbing teams, or what do you think, Phil? Yeah, look, I think a lot of teams will lean towards climbing teams mm. uh, this year round, the, the teams that, that have GC contenders. Um, so, yes, the makeup for BMC, as, uh, for, as, for example, which is the best pretty much the best ttt team in the world as they've shown uh, yeah that's mm. right um so you know yeah okay they'll carry both richie and tj van garen for example along with the the usual suspects in that team so sammy sanchez so they'll be they'll be deep they'll be deep into that uh, into that kind of category of rider and then for team sky i don't think uh, we're not going to be seeing um uh, ian standard for example mm. right i think you know we're going to rule him out pretty much well you reckon immediately that? do you reckon they still no, need no cobbles this year. They, 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 they mm. didn't need one yeah, guy or two guys. They just need sort of that freight train kind of mm. that Matt Heyman, Ian Stannard, some guy who can just be there mm. all the time. As for Orica Green Edge, I really can't see more than two or three Australians starting next year's Tour de France, given <laughs> their recruitment program in the off season, which is made up of South Americans, Europeans, non Australians. And and you know, speaking of. Those guys, well, this is a course that looks good for Esteban Chavez as mm. well. Right? Mm. Yeah, true. Right. But D- he, he's sort of come out and said overnight saying that the Giro is his main priority, or is it is that it? he wants a top five? Ah, yeah. right. Okay. Sure. Is that smart? Yeah. Do you think to um, you know have Esteban concentrate on the Giro when the Tour de France is is waiting is, is waiting for him? Let's yeah. look at the pedig- the pedigree of the Yates brothers. You know, they've got a bit of experience. Yeah. Over, okay. You know, I don't know. It's mm. interesting. I think Chavez has probably got more runs on the board than the Yates is at this stage after his welter performance, though. He's getting there. We'll see. I mean, it'd be interesting. It, at the moment, it's still a long way out. A lot of guys say they, they'll target something and then mm. their program changes a little bit, you know, halfway through the season or something, Rob. Um, what do you reckon? Is it uh, a lot of people are saying it's Contador's kind of route? It is his last. Tour de France is is this a sort of a icy on the cake tour for him potentially? Look, it's, it's it's funny because somebody was making a joke on um, on Twitter about you know all these writers coming out saying it's a course that suits me, and do we need to write fifteen articles from different writers <laughs> saying it's a course uh, that suits me? But I think that's really a reflection of the fact that it's a course that suits, suits a lot of writers, yeah. <laughs> right? So, you know, a lot of writers with GC intentions, mm. it's, it does. And there are enough opportunities also in the, on that list for guys like Peter Sagan to pick up wins, uh, Kikowski, you know, mm-hmm. those types of writers. So, it, 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 you know, Prudhomme may have actually achieved the impossible with this course, which is he's built a course which looks like a balanced course, but leaves uh, the possibilities wide open at the same time. Yeah, I mean, right? there's no they, they always will try and say that they built it a little bit more favoured for the French, and I think mm. this one does suit Thibaut Pinot, mm. you know, yeah. and it suits uh, Roman Bardet, and, and and again, which the last year's tour did as well. Mm. Didn't work out but so well. I don't know. I was throwing, <laughs> I, I might, can I just switch tangent and just wonder, are you excited when the launch comes now? I know I used to be really, you know, buzzing for the launch, but this year, well, I, I, I don't know, it well, feels you, like the, it's so formulaic these days. 
You know what? You know why, Rob? Because there are so many leaks in the weeks leading up mm. to the uh, official the, release. The impact of the. I wasn't surprised by any of uh, the stages or the way it uh, is going to uh, take place in terms of being anti-clockwise. <laughs> I knew about Switzerland somehow. I read it somewhere. I knew about uh, the Pyrenees coming first. We obviously knew about uh, the start, the first three days in Normandy. Mm. Um, I, I still look forward you, to you, it, but I wasn't excited. You can piece almost half of it together. Almost, yeah, it's like a jigsaw puzzle. <laughs> no, but I, I actually quite have... like them just to, to, to rejig the format. They've been going to Palais de Congrès for 20 years. They've been doing... They've sat in the same chairs with the same yellow head mm. rest. You know, like the yeah. images are the same. The staging just seems, from afar, pretty... Mundane. But, yeah, I remember um, the jury did a great one one year where they they were all put them up in chef. You know, they got them to yeah, make yeah. A, a recipe on the stage. Did you see that? Yeah, yeah. Heijedal and Nibali. And yeah, they cooked. They, they cooked, cooked on stage. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cavendish, I think, was no, cooking I, something. I've got a theory on this, though, Rob. Yeah. Right. Uh, has the, again, the, the issue has to do more with um, the mystery is gone. In the past, we didn't actually have coverage. That's it. Of the of, of the the tour route. Now it's live streamed just about everywhere, and of course the the, the tour itself mm. uh, does that. We debated here whether or not we should bother live streaming, right? Mm -hmm. Considering the time difference. Well, but, but even then, it was still in a pretty reasonable time time difference. It was, it was like midnight. Uh, or something. No, it was nine nine p.m. in the evening. I oh, think it was pretty much the start. You know, so we in theory we could have done it, but at the same time, I think because the information is now so freely available. In the past, there was a there was an aura of mystery around the whole presentation mm. because we didn't actually see it. And that's that's largely gone, and people go, well, I'll wake up and just catch the details in the morning. <laughs> yeah. You know, or so before you used to have to actually wait until Prudhomme had done, done his, his thing, speech yeah. through it because you're finding stage by stage. But now, it's just when they're, when they're about to start the, the full unveiling, get they leaked. send the map, yeah. and <laughs> everyone just looks at it on their phone. And, they and then it's on Cycling it. News or whatever. <laughs> and it's done. Yeah. Somebody um, breaks the embargo. I went in 2008, and I was really looking forward to it. And when I was at, at the Palais de Congrès, I, I found it pretty boring. And, and a, a pretty forgettable well, event. Well, you got to inspire people, Rob, you know. And, no, 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 no. I, I love the tour and I'm a big fan and I'll talk about the exciting bits, but I also wonder if this is one thing. Tomo, what do you reckon? I totally agree with you. Yeah. <laughs> Tomo, one thing you might be excited about is it uh, looks like the transfers are a bit lighter this year. Oh, that's great. I mean, last year when we uh, finished on uh, on the Alps, in the Alps, uh, Alpe d'Huez, and then made that long transfer, it was horrible for everybody. And I think Christian Prudhomme has uh, listened to the riders, the teams, the media. Mm. The drive after Morzine is going to be pretty much the same. Well, I think it's a lot closer and it, instead of being 10 hours, the drive, mm. it's only going to be five or six hours. So mm. that's that, that's an improvement. It's good to know that Prudhomme does listen to people and uh, he's he's the man of the people. Good on him. Yeah, yeah but you know, you're going to get you're going to get some years where he's going to make somebody unhappy, whether it's a rider or whether it's going to be, mm. you know, broadcasters or teams, mm. team, organ, you know, race uh, team organizers in terms of getting transfers done, et cetera. I mean, it's dependent on the kind of route that they want to build each year. It just has it? to be a certain consideration, logistics, I think, mm. because it is becoming a bigger and bigger show and it affects more and more people. Well, here's, so. a, ch here's a challenge for Prudhomme. Make a Tour de France course where the riders uh, do what they do in Adelaide, South Australia, at the Tour Down Under. They arrive, they throw their uh, baggage in the corner of the room and they, <laughs> it stays there for three weeks. There's a challenge for you, Christian Prudhomme. It ain't going to happen, but there's a challenge for you. That's the Mike Turner dream. <laughs> but you know, but you know what? But that that you know something like that would just change the 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 projection of the race in media dramatically. I think you get too many softies coming to the race. You know, they, mm. people. You got to get the certain amount of attrition of people going and being like, "I could never do this again." I, I mean, <laughs> Rob, Rob, when you're there, mm. right? When you're looking at these transfers and everything else, when you're in France, do you feel like because do you feel that you 
as 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 media sh- are sharing an experience with riders in terms of those transfers, mm. et cetera? Like you're all in it together, like a giant family. If or, anything, you feel well, like you're doing harder than with the riders. <laughs> but it's, it, it, Tom, are you? No, it's the part of the tour family. Like you can be on an auto route going somewhere and, and inevitably you pull in and get your petrol and, and everyone there's involved the, has got a, a, a lanyard on and, and you, you Or there's the Team Sky faces, bus or yeah. something. Or, Look, you know. The days aren't hard. If you know what you're doing, and I'd like to think we know what we're doing as part of the SBS coverage, but the days are long. Yeah. Mm. We start at 7 a.m. and I don't hit the pillow again until probably midnight or one o'clock in the morning. So uh, that's every day. It's every day, but you live and breathe the Tour de France when you're over there and uh, following it like we do, Rob, for three weeks. Um, I haven't got any complaints. Have you you put in your your notices for which five-star hotels you're going to be staying in in France? (laughs) Uh, Five-star hotel. This is SBS. uh, (laughs) You're talking about, Phil, and uh, the budget cuts are well upon us. (laughs) Five-star can be very deceptive in France as well. Um, (laughs) All right, uh, guys, let's let's move it right along and uh, talk about something closer to home. Well, an adventure, a quest across Australia's hot centre. Tom and a band of Black Dog Institute supporters rode the 1,000 plus kilometre journey earlier this month uh, from Adelaide to Darwin and with some uh, breaks in between for those suffering a mental illness. Tom is the ambassador spokesman, morale booster, plus of course he took part in the ride, so a heavy load for our main man, but indeed he managed and here he is, of course, to tell us all about it. Tomo, quite the ride. Oh, Al, it was a life-changing experience. I mean, uh, we rode for eight days between Adelaide and Darwin, visiting Uluru in the process. And uh, look, there's a little bit of a misconception here. The distance between the two cities uh, is something like 3,500 kilometres. That's the same distance as uh, riders do in, in a general, in, in a grand tour. Um, it's and two... you did it all in a week. <laughs> I'd like to think I did, but it's physically impossible. You cannot ride that distance without having travelling, oh, without riding his for own 20 myth. 20 hours a day. Look, it's not a myth. What happened was we averaged about 150 k's per day. There were 62 of us. And uh, after 150 or so k's, there would be a Greyhound bus uh, to pick us up after lunch, of course, and uh, (laughs) take us to our our next accommodation. We were well supported. Uh, We had a chef on board. We had two doctors. We had a couple of or three massage therapists. And we did it for the Black Dog Institute for Mental Health. Now, if somebody had asked me, you know, 12 months ago, would you be able to ride eight days straight on a bicycle averaging 150 kilometres? I probably would have said no. I've been riding my bike now for more than 10 years and this was the greatest challenge. But I think for me to be in a position to be allowed to ride my bicycle along with the 62 others uh, around Uluru, it was uh, definitely life-changing. Very, very sacred grounds. And, you know, I thought when I arrived there, oh, it's just this bloody big rock in the middle (laughs) of nowhere. It's more than that. It is uh, is sacred grounds and, um, as I say, life-changing for me to go around that uh, big rock uh, 27 kilometres in distance along with uh, my colleagues. It It was wonderful. But... Um, look, it, I, it, I, re- I recommend that everybody does it. If you are seriously into riding, you don't have to be an elite rider, uh, just a recreational weekend hack like I am. Do it. I'll do it again for sure. And during the ride, were you was there discussion amongst each other about what the purpose was, just the raising of awareness of the black dog? No, we actually visited uh, outreach centres okay. in uh, Tennant Creek and Alice Springs, uh, uh, talking and meeting and encouraging people with mental illness, a lot of them, of course, Indigenous, um, and just basically we were there to give them a bit and, of a and boost. And some people on the ride were... 
that's were right. part of the, the Black Dog Institute. Uh, that's right, Al. Of the 62 riders who took part, I would say uh, a small percentage had personal issues themselves. If not uh, personally, it certainly uh, were, connected, uh, were to connected with family members and friends, and, and that's the reason why they did it. Had they referenced that, let's just try and put in charity into context, Was this, is cycling good for them? Are they are they using cycling as a, as a as form a of... Yeah. A lot of them had never ridden up until about 12 months ago. Never jumped on a bike before, but uh, their mission was to do the ride, train for the ride, and they were very fit for the ride. A lot of them suffered, especially in the last couple of days. Uh, we had a 31-year-old uh, from Wollongong, Tracy, um, you know, not used to these long distances, and she was basically pushed, with all due respect to Tracy, pushed to uh, to the finish line into Darwin mm-hmm. by many of us. Uh, she really suffered towards the end. But for the majority, uh, we knew what we were in for, we trained for it, we were mentally prepared, and as I say, it was the greatest experience how, of my life. How hot was it, Tomo? I mean, the desert's oh, yeah. hot. <laughs> it was very, very hot to Alan, especially the first couple of days when we left Adelaide in early October. Um, temperatures up to 40 degrees. Unseasonal. And we had a strong northerly wind in our face. And uh, that first day, we didn't do 150 k's. We just uh, gave up after about six or mm. seven hours. Mm. When you average 21, 22 k's <laughs> per hour, you're looking at yourself thinking, what the hell are we doing here? Uh, I mean, it's all about uh, trying to maintain a very fast speed, but uh, when the wind stops you, as was the case, we jumped off our bikes and jumped into the air-conditioned Greyhound. But after that, uh, no doubt about it, we averaged 150 k's per day. I had a great chat with Matt Rogers a couple, about a year ago about his cycling. He's a, a former... Rugby NRL league player. Player. Rugby league, rugby union, international. He's super fascinating. He's fallen in love with cycling and triathlon. And he, his father had mental health yep. uh, concerns and, they, and we talked a little bit about it. And he gave me one of the best lines I've heard when I've, since I've been making the magazine. And that he said that the beauty of cycling is that it encourages shoulder-to-shoulder conversation. Mm. And often for men, he was saying, that they find it difficult to look each other in the eye and, and open up. But cycling and doing 150 kilometres a day out in the desert, you know, with people that, that you don't know, did, did you find yourself having discussions that you wouldn't ordinarily have? Do you know what I mean? Like, I thought it was just a fabulous mm. concept that Matt Rogers raised, mm. and, and it's stuck with me ever since. Did you experience that? You betcha, Rob. When you're out there in the middle of nowhere, it's just basically flat with red dust. Uh, as far as the eye can see, you've got no choice but to rub shoulders with uh, the person that's alongside you, and you have long chats. You learn about these people, and uh, look, we're all in it together, and it's so right what Matt Rogers says, so I certainly subscribe to, uh, to those comments. It's, it's like going sure. on a drive, isn't it? You yeah. sort of, well, you're you know, in a bus, aren't you? You're yeah. in a bus, but it's a peloton, and uh, you're not there to race. You're there <laughs> you're, to uh, do you're holding the focus distance. on your wheel. You, you, Correct. You, you're, you're looking at the person in front or whatever, and, and every now and again, you can catch a glimpse of the person next to you. It's Look, not that you're ignoring them, but you, you open up more when you're not looking them in the eye. Yeah. Look, Rob, and also there are no hills out there, and uh, <laughs> apart from the strong winds, which really did batter uh, batter the pelotons, mm. there were three of them, mind you, three groups of twenty riders. Hmm. Um, um, there were no hills, so uh, we didn't really have to focus on going up and down, up and down. Basically, just uh, turning, turning the uh, the legs over. That's basically what it was all about, and uh, and talking to our fellow men and women. And and, and at the end of it, were you a smaller person? I was. Well, I know. <laughs> Did you lose weight? 
not necessarily because we, you know, we're encouraged to uh, drink fluids and eat, <laughs> and we have big meals in the evening and a big breakfast. I didn't lose too much weight. I did lose a little bit, but um, look, it's not a three-week grand tour, is it? It's a, it's an eight-day <laughs> event. Uh, uh, we have we, we did about a thousand k's, uh, or but maybe a touch more. I didn't lose that much weight, but I certainly have been humbled by the by the experience. If that's what you mean, am I am I a lot smaller than I was? <laughs> were, were you also humbled by the road trains? Oh, the road trains were incredible. Uh, these fifty-five meter long uh, vehicles coming the other way—they they, they blow you off off the road. There's no speed limits in Darwin, or in, in uh, Northern Territory, on, on is it? Uh, in Northern Territory, there are yeah. sections where there are no speed limits. But mm. look, there's a lot of respect for cyclists. There's a lot of respect for us, or there was. Um, and I've got to say, if there are any truck drivers out there who do that uh, route from Adelaide to Darwin and vice versa, I take my hat off to you guys because of all the motorists. These guys With have the, the most respect mm. for groups like ours. There you go. Interesting. And what sort of traffic... Like, let's say I took the family and went to Adelaide and went for a ride, similar to what you did. How often are you seeing cars, is it? Oh, you see one car every 10 minutes. So a lot of great nomads right. out there, caravans, right. campers, uh, cyclists. We saw two coming the other way. Crazy people, uh, backpackers <laughs> from Germany. One guy, <laughs> absolutely it's always crazy. Great, 40, it's always backpackers 40, from Germany. 43-degree uh, temperatures, and there's this guy wearing a jumper and <laughs> jeans, and uh, we're, we're asking him questions. Where are you going? Going to Port Augusta. Why are you doing that? I don't know, he's, he would say. <laughs> Just, he, he, he to looked, be fair, no one knows why they're going to Port Augusta. Yeah, well, I have right. no idea what he was doing out there in that intense heat. Uh, we were struggling and he was going the other way in uh, fully clothed and uh, just just baffled me. Um, all right. Well, maybe on that fine note, we'll, we'll leave it there for uh, that fine German backpacker. Uh, let's, uh, let's move on and let's talk about the, the Melbourne to Warrnambool. Can I, can I interrupt? Sure, yeah, go wrong. Because when we're we, we going to talk about a little bit about... Well, no, we are, we are, we are. We're, we're going to get to that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Don't, don't, don't break the ice yet. Oh, Just a I got a mild running sheet today. Sorry, I didn't mean to okay. um, Over to you, Alex. I'm sorry, so we've, kept st- we've kept stuff from you. No, no, no. <laughs> uh, we're going to start with the, the Warrnambool and then we're going to talk about what Rob's hinting at, but uh, I won't give it away yet. Not that it's actually that important. Sorry. Um, <laughs> Dave McKenzie, uh, SBS commentator... Uh, former pro cyclist and all round good guy, all round good guy. Yes, also that that comes with his there's his name, I think. And there's not many of us left. All round, <laughs> all round good guys. Present company excluded. Um, uh, he raced him because in, in a blog he wrote about the 2015 edition, which was the hundredth edition of the Melbourne to Warrnambool, um, because he felt like the race deserved uh, more coverage, more publicity, uh, a higher level of respect than what it was getting. And uh, he pointed to things like television coverage, to the way the race was being organised, to um, uh, who was participating in it, uh, all sorts of very valid uh, concerns. Uh, Phil, you also published a, a counter blog, uh, on, well, rather, Rob Merkel published a counter blog and you put it on the Cycling Central yeah, website, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, talking about maybe this glorified version of the past is, is actually glorified. You know, it, it, the race has never been as big as you think it is. But it, yeah. it, we should probably be idealistic about a race like this because it, it is historic. It could be, be bigger and better. Um, what is What needs to be done? What can happen? Is it realistic to say it should be bigger and better? Well, well this, this is a good question, right? So for me, obviously, there, there are many, many people in Australia who are very passionate about Melbourne to Warrnambool, and I think rightly so. Um, I think the issue really has more to do with where does everyone meet 
at what at what point at what intersection does everyone meet to sort of make a race like this um, a presence in Australia? Uh, clearly, you know, Rob is Rob Merkel would be a backmarker in uh, Melbourne to Warrnambool, and then you've got somebody like David McKenzie who's actually won the race uh, before. Mm. So we're we're talking about uh, different perspectives in terms of the utility of the race and about what we think the race should be. Um, I think Rob made a very good case for for the race continuing as it is, um, but at the same time, you know, David uh, David wants the race to be more than what it currently is, and to do that, you need to make it a professional race mm. with television coverage, etc. But at the same time, if you do that, where does that leave people like Robert, who would look like look at a race like the Melbourne to Warrnambool as their pinnacle every year? And uh, and and are the people ultimately who are keeping the race going? Because it's mm. it is the Warrnambool is definitely funded by the participation mm. of the masses. Yes, um, and it's a you know it's a big entry fee, and then they do it uh, you know. Uh, all three, you got all sorts of people doing all sorts of levels. Um, you got uh, women getting involved as well, um, but they are the ones who subsidise the race essentially, and they probably bring on sponsorship and all sorts of things. Uh, we've seen this model work with other races as well, like Amy's Grand Fondo, like uh, the Road Cadell Race. Road, road race. Yeah. Uh, I suppose Dave wasn't saying you give away necessarily that element. No, no, no. He was. He, he, there's there a place for all of those things within his concept, mm. right? But I think a lot of people would see see it as a way of separating out the professionals from the rest. Mm. And I think that's where the concern is for many people. But at the same time, if the race is to maintain its stature, I mean, if it, it literally got zero press to speak of in, in Melbourne, mm. which when you think about the history of the race, it's, it's phenomenal. It's phenomenal. It, yeah. it didn't get anything really. So um, how, how does it get that again? But times I, I was called by... Sorry, the, go sorry, ahead. You go, Tomo. The yeah. times have changed. Mm. We're into the 21st century. It's time to move on. And uh, I respect Rob Merkel's uh, case to, to keep the race the way it is, but it's the greatest Australian spring classic, or so they say. Um, it's time for television to get involved. It's time to bring in uh, some professionals. Uh, I'm sure there'd be a lot of media coverage if Peter Sagan, Fabian Cancellara or Nibali were racing. That's for sure. Move the race. Move the race from October and maybe coincide it with the Cadell race or uh, collaborate it with the Cadell Evans race in February. Um, it's time to move on, I believe. Let's have some TV I, coverage. Uh, I didn't even know there was any controversy. I haven't read Dave's piece, but I can give him some credit because he certainly got us talking about the Warnable. Last year we threw <laughs> it in as, a, as an all or afterthought. Mm. But, but I got called by Jeanette Ferris, who's Michelle's mum, and she was part of the organising committee, and she was working. She's been working on the Warnable, the hundredth edition in particular, mm -hmm. for over a year. She's been really looking forward to it, and she had some great initiatives. She was trying to get, uh, you know, uh, definitely guys from our magazine down and following it. And, and Nick Squillari was was racing, yep. and he was in the break. So that was good to have a presence from people who have contributed to the magazine. But she'd also tried to get guys like uh, Ryan O'Keefe, who's a, a, another footballer who's passionate about cycling. He was really keen to do it. His grandfather had done the Warrnambool all those years ago. And I think I'm looking at it from a different perspective to Dave McKenzie because I, I sort of quite like it. I think it's sort of... Um, it typifies what the Australian cycling scene is, that it is about handicaps and, and having the women racing with the men. And, and it's a, it is a, it, it, it's not going to a huge community. It's going to Warrnambool, and Warrnambool seems to embrace it. I don't know. Well, I don't know. I don't, I'm, not, I'm not as cynical as Dave is about it. I, I kind of liked, liked it. I like well, watching it from afar. There lies a problem, I think, Rob. It's a regional race. It's yeah, a, but accepted as it that. It should and, be and, a and, national and, race. I don't agree. I think it can, 
I, st- I think it holds its own in the format that it is because it it op- offers an opportunity for people to discover the joy of cycling and mm. racing, and it doesn't have to be a, a massive star-studded cast to make it a, a, a pro- proper professional, that, interesting, mm, engaging true, race. That's true, but if, that's true. But if Victoria Media is not covering it, then uh, it's a lost cause. And I agree with Dave; it is a dying race. We the race needs media attention, and uh, if you throw in professionals, as could be the case in February when they come out for the Cadell race, I think it'd be far better. The race would be far better for it. But I think the media can be encouraged to look at the stories that exist. Like I had a chat with the winner, Scott Sunderland, on Monday, and it was fascinating. It wasn't fascinating, but it was, what he did tell me was that he put out after 279 kilometres, yeah. 1,660 watts to yeah. win the sprint. And if you look at the footage of the sprint, and it is out there, and and and, and Scott McGrory and some other people have put t- together a really nice package of the, of the highlights, yeah. and, and you can see that Scott was going to win that sprint. He was dominant when he went even Alexander uh, Edmondson couldn't get near him. That was interesting. But that led me to have a chat with uh, Jake Kaufman. And uh, I've got it as the SoundCloud file on ride, and it's been well visited because it's a really interesting chat. This guy was in the break. Oh, no, sorry, he missed the break, but he decided he'd bridge it. Um, he got across, and then he was on the attack with Jack Bobbridge. And, and then we, it was a 15-minute discussion where we talk about him, him being a former rugby player, him coming to budget forklifts as a professional bike rider. He's not a professional bike rider because he makes his salary as a full-time builder. He was animating the race. He was giving some coverage to his sponsors. He had things to say. He had, we talked about power output and all sorts of different things that came from it. And, I, and you don't get that if... if Peter Sagan and Nibali and people like that are, yep. are lining up for it. It's a, yep. It is a community race. It offers an opportunity to, for people to fall in love with it. It doesn't have to be a 1.hc ranking mm. and blah, blah, blah. I don't know. I, I think there's a... I mean, the thing with professional, the, the aspiration for professional races, I think, is we've, we've done this whole NRS thing over the last five to six years mm. in terms of trying to make it bigger and better. And the reality is that even with a fairly strong push from Cycling Australia, the NRS is probably not hugely progressed from where it was. And the the, the reality is also that the interest at the moment is still not sustaining it. Where, whereas the growth in the sport in, is, is in things big, like fondos and, yeah. mm. the, and ride, the ride like you did. And, for example, and last weekend a, with things like the Sydney a, Cycle Classic. It's Classic. so disappointing that uh, there was no media coverage at a time when the football seasons have finished. Yep. Uh, there was no Bathurst. Uh, sure, the horse hmm. racing season is kicking in, but there's no competition. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Remember the Commonwealth Bank Cycle Classic, Tomo? That was on at this time of year, and mm. it was on at this time of year with purpose because mm. of exactly what you said. The Correct. football season's over. Cricket hasn't begun. Horse racing's sort of in the in the proof. And, and, and Phil Bates always generated a huge amount of media mm. coverage for yeah. cycling back in the day because of that. And the same applied to when, when the Herald but, Sun Tour was on at the same uh, time. Do you think maybe, though, that, you know, in terms of domestic domestic cycling, that the interests of Australians who ride bikes have changed or shifted in some way where they're less concerned about the racing and they're more concerned in the participation? So, uh, yeah. for example, you did ride Sydney this past weekend. You mm-hmm. did too as well, Tomo, in addi- straight, a- straight after you're uh, putting down a good base of a thousand <laughs> kilometers. And, you know, it's, it's, is that part of the problem for, for, for races like Melbourne to Warrnambool? Is it uh, in terms of, 
you know, even the attention like Sydney, is sort of sucked up by yeah, the other and, and Ride Sydney did, does get coverage in the papers. What you're saying is uh, people are more interested in riding recreationally and doing events like the Spring Cycle or uh, a day. What is it? A day around the bay. A, a bay around yeah. the bay in a day. Yeah, the, around the bay in a day. Those sort of events, rather than watch uh, events like Melbourne to Warrnambool for the sport that it is. Mm. I think people are. I think that is genuinely true of cycling. I mean, the audience for professional cycling, even the Tour de France, is far less than the amount of people that ride a bike. Mm. And a lot of people who ride a bike aren't necessarily vis-a-vis interested in professional cycling, you know. So there's a lot of people who would be commuters who I go and talk to, oh, you know, do you do you follow? Oh, I don't even really follow the Twitter. I wouldn't know anything about it, you know. Yeah. People who ride bikes who sometimes get involved with things like these big participation events, they're not necessarily invo- involved in or wanting to be involved or interested in these big professional cycling yeah, events. It all comes full circle. I mean, um, I don't know, I did a... A race is that uh, my history of cycling is multifaceted. I came to it, you know, because I loved riding a bike, and I learned that in Holland, and I did that as a teen, a ten-year-old, and I and anyway, but I I did a, a Sydney to Gong one year, and I realised that riding a hundred kilometres was actually pretty easy, and I did it with a lot of people who seemed really engaged by it, and and I've sort of come to the cycling world through different things, but. Above all, it's through BMX racing that I started riding my bike. And uh, everyone comes to cycling in different reas- for different reasons. I'm now back doing community challenges after having covered 19 Tours de France because I like doing it with my kids. And that's why I was riding around Sydney on Sunday. The road closures weren't fantastic. There was still a lot of traffic that we had to contend with. Yeah. But the police were wonderful. They, they, they managed the situation. There weren't, from, my, from what I've heard, very many serious accidents. Uh, my five-year-old got to ride across the Harbour Bridge and all the way out to Homebush. I'm very proud to say that he, he finished and did 50 kilometres. And at the end, he wanted to ride home, but we had to say, no, look, we're going to get there on the train. It's a, just... And, and, and it's not about it being a professional event. It was just about just teaching people to go out mm. and, and you can easily cover 50 kilometres. A five-year-old can do it in the right conditions. We had perfect <laughs> weather, uh, a great atmosphere, lots of people that I rode past didn't ride their bike very often. It was pretty clear. But that's not to say that they weren't riding to work this week. They might have learned from Sunday that they can go from point A to point B in a relatively enjoy simple themselves, way. Enjoy themselves, get some sun on their face. Right. Mm. And you, you arrive at the office better. You might have arrived at the office having spoken to someone on the way. You might have had a, a shoulder-to-shoulder conversation. You might have cleared your head. You might have done a lot of different things for yourself. You might have lost a bit of weight or whatever. Mm. But uh, I don't know. I, I suppose equally, um, just uh, back to, to bring it back to whether you know playing devil's advocate in terms of Dave's point and uh, Tomo, um, the Cadell Evans Great Ocean Road Race did show that there is it can work with the right amount of support if done properly, if the you know the right people are put in place, if the right amount of infrastructure is put around a race, if the right riders are brought in, you can. You it's can enormous. Enormous investment by the government. Look, I have the greatest amount of respect for the National Road Series and the riders that compete Mm. week in, week out. But if you want to attract mainstream Australia, you need the big riders. And that's why I'm a firm believer that you've got to move the event. It's time to break the shackles. You know, it wasn't until 1996 when the Melbourne Warrnambool became (coughs) uh, the race that it is today. Prior to that, it was a handicap race. Mm. I mean, it took them so long to make that change and it's taken them a long time to make this next step and yeah. I think it's time. I think um, 
maybe the the Cadet Elevens are a race, and 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 obviously the the Santos Tour down under. They've That's they've got that mix. They've got that mix. I think just about right. Mm. And the other thing that uh, I think with David's model is that if you do have the Fondo attached to it, um, and and clearly delineate those groups, that there's an opportunity for people who are just just bike riders uh, who are not interested in racing to actually get some exposure uh, mm. into racing and. Mm. That can only be good because maybe you get a certain percentage over time who might say, you know, I'd like to have a crack. But the, right? so I'm all for what Dave's suggesting, <clears> and that's to make the, the <throat> Warnable a, a full classic that it deserves to be. But I don't think there's a problem with it being what it is. Yeah. Already the road closures are hard enough. There was a 15-minute break between the, or gap between the, the break and the peloton, and the police were saying, come on, bring it together yeah, or we're going to have to close this yeah. road and it'll be a, a, a race, for, race for the breakaway. Yeah. Yeah. So if you're trying to talk about then let's do two road closures, one for the Grand Fondo, one for the race, already you're up against it. Mm. You've doubled your police charges. <clears throat> so the, I think with a huge, endless, limitless budget, you could get great, uh, a great race with great media coverage. But well, how, about, cha- how about changing the course? Rather than go inland the way they do, just yeah. use the Great Ocean Road. I love it. I did use like that, I did like that as, a, as yeah. an idea. I think yeah. it's brilliant. And that yeah. would bring in that scenic mm-hmm. tourism element a bit more. Mm. All right, mm. guys, um, we've covered a lot of ground. Uh, let's uh, wrap it up. Um, to Phil, any final shout-outs before we close it all up, or is there anything important uh, to remind our readers slash listeners slash people? Yeah, as a matter of fact, there is. Yes, we have a live stream this this weekend. Okay, what is it? It's a unique live stream. Ooh, right. Ooh. Saturday yep. at um, at five p.m. until six forty-five. Yep. We are going to stream the Saitama, Saitama Criterion. Ah, yes. Which is a is an ASO Tour de France organizers. Bit of a novelty uh, event. It's a novelty event where they get all, all the big hitters to show up in Japan. It's a good way of promoting the Tour de France in Japan, et cetera. But it's fun and interesting. And mm. so we're going to have uh, an hour and 45 minutes of cycling from in Japan with, I don't know, maybe Chris Froome will be wearing a sumo suit or something like that. It'll be all or, or well, Peter Sagan will actually race frivolity. while eating a plate of sushi. There's usually some sort of yeah <laughs> stuff like that. It's a, it's always a bit silly. Um, okay, good. It's just to say that 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 cycling isn't only the Tour de France in July. There's so many different acts yeah. along yeah. the way, and yeah. and they all feed into one another to make the cycling season it, yeah. what it is what it is and having said that uh, so the cycling central podcast is not all about anthony tan so my request is can i come, my request is can we dump tanny can i come back uh tomo i mean that's a big request yeah. uh, tanny yeah. tanny's away for a couple of weeks so you can make your case over the next couple of you want i think they could uh, <laughs> how many facebook followers you got on the cycling that, that, central let's do a poll phil can uh, i encourage that uh, no no because that's tomo just gonna, versus no, tan. No, 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 hashtag no. bring back tomo or no, something. No, no. <laughs> because that's gonna unleash hell <laughs> <laughs> I don't really want to do that. And, and actually, one final thing about... I don't want to spend my early morning hours moderating <laughs> God, Yeah, comments. yeah, that's right. You know, 99% of which are probably going to be defamatory to either Tomo or Tanman. <laughs> um, or both. The, yeah. uh, and one other thing about cycling this weekend on SBS, uh, we have a double shot of Voxwoman at uh, 4.30 on Sunday, yep. 4.30 p.m. ADT, and that's going to be followed by the Samsung Buck Lane with uh, Matt Keenan and Robbie McEwen. And produced by Wardy. Uh, Robbie's should... built for commentary, isn't he? Oh my god! Oh my god! I can't get over it. And he's built. He's built for Robbie's box as well, which, <laughs> which we don't see. Yeah, that's, that's right. right. Off camera. Um, all right, guys, let's wrap it up. Uh, thanks everyone for joining us. You can find Cycling Central on Twitter at Cycling Central. Rob is at Ride Media HQ and at Rob Ride Media. Tanny, who wasn't here this week. Sorry, that's a that's a mistake. <laughs> 
Mike Tormalara is at Mike Tormalara. Yeah, you, you'll find me at my desk. Uh, Phil is at un- underscore Philip, Philip no, at Philip underscore Gomes, and I'm at Al underscore Hines. Guys, it's been a pleasure. Mm-hmm. Tomo, nice to have you here. Yeah. No, really? Please welcome me, welcome me back. Please, we please, will. please. Bye. It's, it's been See good. You. All right. Love you.